Today's episode of The Full 60 is presented by The Salvation Army. Your donations can help those affected by COVID-19 find help and hope. To give, ask your smart speaker to make a donation to The Salvation Army or make your gift at SalvationArmyUSA.org. Welcome to The Full 60 featuring Craig Custance and presented by The Athletic. Each week, we'll dive into the biggest stories in hockey while bringing in unique voices to entertain and explain all aspects of the game. Hey, this is Craig, and welcome to this week's, or this month, I should say, Prospect Series special bonus episode with Corey Pronman. It is your turn in the rotation, Corey. Um, welcome back. How are you? I'm doing well, Craig. How are you doing? <laughs> What's so formal? I'm doing great. Thank you for thank you for asking. Really well, really well. How you watch? I imagine right now there's a lot. You're like NHL scouts and amateur scouts diving into video. How how heavy into the video are you? You've got to be like your eyes have to be just blurry. Yeah, that's pretty accurate. I would say that's been the case. You know, that was going to be the case. I think you know. Regardless of what happened uh, in the world, but I, th- you know, I was, you know, this time of year, March, April, May is usually when I do really heavy video. And now with no more games to go to, it's just that, you know, m- multiplied. And that's kind of been the case across, I think, the NHL industry. Most teams are just asking their guys to really dig into video. Um, and that's pretty much been what I've been doing for the, for the last, I'd say five to six weeks is just yeah. watching, just watching video all day and, and writing and getting the draft package ready, um, for what it's going to post sometime in May. Um, so, but, so yeah, uh, just, you know, uh, I would, I would just say just a lot of watching hockey from, uh, from throughout the course of the season has been most of what my day has been for the last few weeks. Yeah. I was just looking at the calendar. So as we record this, this is going to go out next week, but as we record this, it's it's the 17th of April. Last year at this time, I was packing to go to Sweden for the U18s. That would have been next right. week. The, so that's that makes me sad UH, a little the, bit. The U18s actually would have started yesterday. They would have started yesterday. They, they would have been in Plymouth, Michigan, so I wouldn't have had to pack nearly as much. Although it wouldn't have been as fun. I, we had a lot of fun in Sweden, and it was a, it was a great tournament. So... It's crazy. Like this is, I mean that that hits home. We would be we would be um, we would be hanging out right now in Plymouth, watching you know these these high end, making some last second decisions here, um, and that's that's a good kind of um, setup. Uh, the last, or I'd say, the middle segment of this conversation, we're going to talk about some movers in the twenty twenty draft, um, guys moving up and down, and and we're going to use the mock draft that recently ran on the Athletic, done by the beat writers. I want to clarify, this wasn't a Corey Promen mock draft, but it was a Corey Promen analyzed mock draft about who's moving and, and, and semi-orchestrated i might have made some suggestions to some folks <laughs> Semi, semi-orchestrated um i saw you it got your byline so you you have to take some credit for it you, you're getting yeah, all the subs that, sure <laughs> just getting into the into the microcosm of how our business worked there for our listeners <laughs> but before we get to that i wanted to shift focus to earlier this month you did your nhl scout poll i don't know if you have you done this in the past 
No, this was the first iteration, okay. and it was an interesting uh, process to go through. Because I, I, we've discussed this before, and I, and I kind of told my editor that I, I needed to be at a point where I felt I had enough uh, sources who I feel like that, that would trust me, and so we can get a big enough sample size. And I think we had just a little over twenty five respondents for this, which Good. is a fairly fairly large number. Like you know, I have more sources than that, but it's, you know, you got to get twenty five mm, people. To I don't know, Corey. You've got. I think, I think we know exactly how many sources you have now. But, but my point being is like you got to have people <laughs> who be willing to fill it out and trust you that you aren't right. going to divulge who 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 filled it out. So uh, you know, so that was a process to get to that point, and I think I liked. How it went, I liked the results of it, and you know, it's definitely something that I could think of doing in the future again. Yeah, it was it was good. It was interesting. So you said fill it out because I've done versions of these, not necessarily with amateur scouts, but with people in the game. Did you would just because I want to steal your process? Did you send like a Google form, or you didn't do this over the phone? That's how I would have done it all over the phone. I it was either I printed out like a paper sheet and had them fill it out during a game, or I sent it oh. to them via email t- to fill out. That's good. All right, and they were willing to do that. I feel like people would be less willing to have a paper trail, but apparently twenty five. Well, I did, well, I didn't put. I didn't ask them to put their name on. It didn't like I said, it was irrelevant to me. I think actually the ones who filled it out was more anonymous than the ones by email because the right. ones that's who filled it out. Email. When I say paper trail, I mean an email digital. Paper trail. Yeah, like I said, I think that's where kind of trust comes in, 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 yeah. in that regard. And I don't think a lot of the stuff they filled out was, you know, there was nothing in there that was too player evaluation. I think that those are the kind of questions where a lot of guys would be hesitant, you know, tell people right. who they really like and they don't like. These were more like uh, larger scope questions about kind of their, their world as opposed to, you know, where do they have like Colt Perfetti ranked or something like that. Right, right. Um, and that's what made it interesting. And so what we're going to do here, and if you want to play along, this uh, probably the easiest, quickest way would be to go Google NHL scout poll, Corey Promen, The Athletic. The headline is, what counts in prospect evaluation? Who does it best and worst? And I'm going to run you, since you are a scout, Corey, to me. I, I'm not a scout, but sure. You are my amateur scout at The Athletic, I would say. You, I am going to run you through these questions. Because... You're doing a lot of evaluation, and it's a lot of questions I think are important. And and so you don't have the um, you don't have the cloak of anonymity here. So um, never do. Maybe <laughs> you never do, which is one of the uh, negatives. But the positive is um, we maybe there's a level of trust here we can build up. So let's dive right into it. And these are the mm-hmm. questions from Corey Promins NHL Scout Poll that ran in the Athletic early um, April. If you're not a subscriber, right now is the time for a 90-day free trial, so you can you can read this for free and play along. So, question number one: What is the most important attribute in a prospect? Before I get, I've already getting sidetracked. Did you have these drop-down message? Like, did they only have certain choices, or was this an open-ended question? Open-ended, but okay. you know, there were there was some um, editorial process on my end if. They said something that kind of was like closely analogous to something else. I, I combined the categories, but very okay. not for that that question. I didn't have to do that. The uh, next question, I had to do that a little bit. But for this one, I was really just open ended, and I think a lot of guys, like I said, I think we all kind of speak the same language a little bit. So yeah. they were they they were pretty you know straight to the straight to the point and use these categories. Uh, but all right. Yes. Go on. Yeah. All right. So the most important attribute in a prospect. What is your answer? 
Uh, it would be a close tie for me between Hockey Sense and Skill, but I am going, if I had to pick one, it would be Hockey Sense, which is what the overwhelming majority of the respondents chose as well. Mm-hmm. 64% of your scouts said Hockey Sense. So they agreed with you. Yeah, I think cause I think with with hockey sense, if you're talking about for for all skater positions, you know, you know, I I think you know you want forwards who can make plays and, and show their skill, but you could have really good defensemen who may not be in the most high end skill, but just move the puck really well. So if we're just talking all skaters, I I would say hockey sense. Um, so I the hockey sense thing. Is something that I've debated with people or in, in conversations I've had a million times. Cause it seems like everyone defines it differently. When you when you're talking about hockey sense in a prospect, what does that look like to you? I don't really think people define it that differently. At least among people I talk to, I you know maybe if you really want to just like define it in the most like granular terms, maybe there may be some differences. But I, I find like when I talk to to hockey people and scouts, like. They can identify who has elite brains, who has a pretty good or an average brain. And like, you know, we, we kind of all see the same thing and identify relatively close what we think is a smarter or not smart player. You know, you're looking for guys who are creative, who see the ice, who can make plays with pace, uh, who just, you know, can see things on the ice that other people can't. I, uh, who can make decisions, uh, both correctly and quickly. Those are all kind of components. And it's just the level of which, just like kind of like with skating, there's good skating. There's extremely good skating extremely good skill, good skill. Uh, I find that most hockey people I talk to tend to see players fairly similarly. I, I'm not going to find, I think, one scout who doesn't think Lafreniere doesn't have an elite brain or who doesn't right. think Cole Perfetti doesn't have a great brain or who, who you know, it, I think most people just kind of see the world in a similar way if they had gone through a similar level of training. Right. It's it's interesting because when, when you talk about busts over and over again, it'll be like, you know, the problem is that guy is dumb as a rock. You know what I mean? When it comes to me, and it, it, it always seems to be centered around hockey sense, not some sort of skill level when there's a high level bust. Yeah, I would say usually the two, if you ask me for the two main reasons why guys bust, it would be, I think you didn't evaluate the hockey sense properly. Uh, um. Well, 33 reasons. Two, you didn't identify the hockey sense properly. Two, you might have overrated physical attributes, which we'll get to in the next question. Or three, there was a character issue there that somebody missed. Right. I would say those are the three most common traits in my experience of why, you know, top picks don't pan out. You know, it would be an interesting exercise. Find like the biggest, the 10 biggest busts of the last 10 years and then identify what went wrong. It's a good story. It is. You can you can you call them too, and you can you, you you can ask them yourselves why they think they <laughs> busted. <laughs> well, I mean, there's lots of different ways to approach that story. All right, the next one: most overrated attribute in a prospect. Overrated attribute again, open open ended, I presume. And but it, it was open ended. So many, yeah, yeah, and I, there was more um, variations of of this response than in the previous one. Uh, but I think you kind of saw that. They all kind of tended to flow in the same area, you know, between size, physicality, and strength. That accounts for over sixty percent of the vote. Um, so, what's your answer first before you? I, 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 I would say size generally, just as yeah. you know, being boring and choosing the majority response from both of the questions. Mm-hmm. What I found interesting from this question is that skating was second place, both in the most important and the most overrated attribute. 
And that is interesting. Well, I wonder if that's a sign when the overrated is because skating has become such a priority right now over the last, let's say, three or four years, where if, I wonder if people are wondering if we're, there's the pendulum has gone too far, where guys you know who are good players who aren't great skaters are getting dinged It's an interesting much. question because I think, yeah, I mean, you have discussions with teams and there are some teams who obviously know it's really important but don't think it's the most important and there are some guys who will – you know, talk about in the organization. We want to play fast. If a guy can't play fast, we're not drafting him. Uh, yeah. So I, it's an interesting debate going on in the industry right now. Uh, at least worth monitoring how that debate unfolds over the next little while. Um, yeah. No, I, I, I agree. All right. We're going to keep it moving. How important is size for a prospect on a scale of one to five? Five being most important. So you're evaluating a prospect. Corey, how important is size? I'd say it's a two. I say there's, mm. you know, there's, you know, and I think when this question comes up, especially in public discussions, people get their backs up very quickly about this. Um, you know, they think, oh, you just like the guy because he's big. He doesn't actually have, you know, you know, amazing numbers, but like, or something along those lines. But you know, there is something to be said for having athletic ability. You know, athletic ability doesn't just being because you're big, you're athletic. But you know, generally, if you know if you're a big, strong person who skates well, you you you're, you have a certain caliber of, of athletic tools uh, that are desirable. Uh, and what's in, what's I think it's important for people to understand too is that you know, while size isn't everything, because you need to be able to compete hard, you need to play physical. There are certain things about it. But you know, when you look at how guys translate from junior to the pro level, the guys who are bigger and stronger and quicker tend to translate easier to those levels where everybody gets bigger and stronger and faster. Um, right. So that that's, I think that's kind of, I think that's where sometimes the, the conversation gets lost a little bit is people wonder, well, why didn't my team draft the, the highly skilled guy with all the points? And it's because, well, he's small and he's slow and while that worked in junior, when he gets to the next level, there are concerns over where it's whether it's going to work there because he lacks those certain physical attributes. Um, right. But but I still don't think it's the most important as we kind of discussed before. I think skill in hockey sense is a priority. But there is you know if you just from watching this field over the last however long I've been doing this and seeing who translates and who doesn't, there is a clear relationship between a player having certain physical characteristics that go along with their ability and those who don't. Yeah. I love this question because I, it's, it's, it's one that I've had a lot of discussions about as well. How important is character for a prospect on a scale of one to five, five being most, the most important? What's your answer? Yeah. yeah. My answer would be a three, and that would mm. definitely be on the very low end compared to the respondents who, you know... I, you know, I asked a lot of different people for my polls. I asked executives, I asked area scouts, I asked younger scouts, older scouts. Um, and, you know, and it was interesting seeing people who had very different backgrounds and very different life experiences all pretty much answer unanimously on this question. Four or five. It's heavy. It's, if you're not following along, it's heavy fours and fives on this one. Yeah, it's they answered. It's extremely important. I do think it's important. Like if a guy has significant character issues, I definitely downgrade them a little bit. Um, I, I guess this is more for for me. Like I, you know, I struggle with defining what is a character and what is not a character issue. Uh, right. But in but generally, like 
you know, for me, like, cause I, when I talk to teams, like they're, the whole work these teams do on these players are exhaustive. Like they know, like that's the little details about their lives and what they do behind the scenes that I just, that I don't know. And even if I do find out, I don't really know how to value it. Usually the way I react to character is when there's like, it's, it's like staring you in the face. Like, you know, like this guy should have been on this team, but the coach cut him because he's a headache or something like that. Like, right. you know, things that like just like jump off the page to you or the things that I tend to react accordingly to in, in my evaluations, little things like his work habits off the ice to, you know, how he treats his pe- people around him to, you know, his general, how, how committed he is to persevering through obstacles. Those are things that I know teams really dig into, but, but I just, I don't know how to value that. I don't have as much information on that regard. Right. Um, it's, inter- it's interesting that four and five, I don't know what I would give it. And and the fact that you're low, I wonder if that's, I wonder if that's because you haven't had to draft a guy and then deal with the headaches that come. You know what I mean? Right. Like, and, and, that, and that, like was that dis- experience and, and, would really. And, and that was discussed in the, in the, in the, uh, in the in the in the article, like they just right. talked about that. There's like not just by you, but like if you're drafting them, it's the headaches that everybody else has to deal with in your organization. Right. And I think you yeah, kind of. I, I hear story. Yeah, I hear stories about that too, where where guys will go want to get a guy, and like I really believe in him, but nobody else in my organization wants to deal with this right now. Um, right. Uh, and I do, you know, that's an interesting point. I was going to say something uh, that I forgot, but. Uh, yeah, no. But well, if you come I back to it, if you think of it, pop it back because I want to keep keep moving on this. How important is video scouting for evaluating prospects on a scale of one to five? And I'm going to assume this is asked, assuming there's actually games being played on top of it, not, not like in yeah, the current course. moment. Right. This 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 poll was taken between like December to March, so it was not taken with the context of the world around us currently. <laughs> right, um. Right. Even though that was the timeline when the virus started to develop, I actually remember being in uh, at the World Juniors, um, like late December, early January. I started getting the first push alerts about that uh, when it was in China. I was like, "Oh, that's interesting," yeah. and then just like going on with my life. <laughs> yeah. Uh, right. <laughs> uh, but uh, I would say the answer for me with this would be a, a five. Uh, I think it's extremely important. I think um, I think video scouting has evolved a lot. Um, especially over the last 10 years, both in terms of how teams are using it and how the video is being made available to teams. Uh, the quality among all leagues is, uh, become much, much better. Like I think five, six years ago, the quality in most even major junior buildings were not really good. You had the occasional HD broadcast. Now I think, you know, you only have a couple of, of CHL teams that don't have HD quality right. broadcast. Same thing with the USHL, uh, leagues are able to get video and have the technology to easily cut video for certain players, uh, with, the, with, the, with the touch of a couple of buttons. Like it's just, it's, you know, you see even from the more younger progressive to some of the more older veteran scouts, you know, they're using this kind of technology to become much more efficient in how they, and how they kind of go about their lives. Uh, and yet, so I, Corey, and yet you give it a five. This, you're way, you're way off the board on this one. I'm not way off the board. A pretty significant, you know, 20% of the respondents gave it a five. Eighty mm. percent didn't. Eighty percent didn't, but you know, still twenty percent gave it a four. So that's not right. that's not way right, off not the way board. Off. The winner, though, the winner was two. 
So I yeah, so, I, so, yeah. I, I I would say relative to other sports, the other sports being you know hockey, baseball, basketball. I, I would say it's closer to baseball in this regard, but still not as close. Where, uh, you know, a, a good chunk of the industry still believes that there is that this is more of a supplemental tool, uh, and believe truly in the in the value of the live view. Uh, and I find that even in my discussions, even with some of the more, I guess you would say, you know, new age, younger, progressive scouts, there's still quite a big chunk of them that still believe that you need to be in the rink uh, to understand the players, that you can't dissect everything between their skating, their work habits, uh, et cetera, from, from watching video. How much of these answers do you think are skewed by scouts being scared that if it's, it was all fives, their travel budget would get cut? Not at all. Uh, I don't. I don't really think that was in the back of their minds. I think some of them would actually. I think there's some of them who would love to be home more often. <laughs> but I mean, the, the depends where you scout. Obviously, there's some. There's some. There's some places they get they get sent to that are more fun than others, especially in the winter months. Um, but I don't think that was really in the back of their minds. I think a lot of them just. I think this is a there's an age old debate in this industry that's been going on for yeah. a very long time. And video is like to your point has changed so much. Like I, we can remember I forgot what team it was, but a long time ago it seems now there was like oh they're gonna go all video and it's a, it's completely different if you're doing it now. You know. Or, so or I I remember what I wanted to say now before with regards oh, to character. Good. I I I've always I've seen interviews with various like executives across sports where this happens. The one example I remember was Alex Anthopoulos, who used to be the general manager of the Blue Jays, now the general mm-hmm. manager of the Atlanta Braves, who was kind of like a you know a kind of a self made, not a baseball guy kind of thing. And he would he would say like I didn't think character was a big deal, and then I became a part of an organization. And now mm. I think it's a big deal. You know, now I don't want to get a guy who has any character issues. So I find, and that's just one example that I've seen across other sports too, where they come in with that mindset and then they get to the organization. And then they, like you said, they have to deal with that problem. And then all of a sudden they're like, I don't want to have that problem ever again. Right. Uh, right. So there you go. So to, for, to, what, to your point of what you said before. Yeah. I, I, my guess, I'm just, and if we do this again in five years and you're working for a team, I bet you your answer is different. That's all I'm saying. Okay, we'll we'll review that. We'll review that at that time. Will you come back on? Will you still do one of these? And if you're working for a team, definitely not. Okay. Good. Next one. How important is analytics for evaluating prospects on a scale of one to five? What's your answer first? I say a four. four. Okay. I think it's. Where think are you getting really... the analytics on prospects? That's what I'd like to know. I think analytics on prospects is. There are some things you can do with it, especially if you have like a really devoted workforce towards it, or you really, you know, dig down onto, onto a couple of, onto some players. Um, you know, you have, you know, teams do tracking work on guys in terms of, you know, trying to find their, whatever their zone entries or their Corsi or, or whatnot. Right. Um, a lot of modern day, at least public analytics for prospects is just taking points and, twisting them in all kinds of ways for whatever league quality team strength uh how old they are their right. position etc you know there's always so much you really can do with it but it is very relevant the data for even with the, with and without those adjustments are is highly predictive of their nhl success uh, as long as you put it in the right context being you know like i said those other factors that i mentioned so it is really important i would still say though at the end of the day the toolkit is the most important um mm-hmm. 
but I've I've always been a proponent of blending both of them, and I've you know I've actually done research and presented on this research that if you just if you did a list based on just their tools and you did a list based on just the stats, they both end up being just kind of similar in per, how how well they predict. But if you do like an average of their two lists, they they help improve the, the accuracy. So I, I'm definitely a big proponent of blending uh, uh, both schools of thoughts. Yeah, no, I mean that's that's the correct answer across the board on analytics, right? You want it, you want every one of those, you want as much information as possible before you're making a big decision. Um, all right. Oh, so international tournaments, how important? One to five. I'm going to say a four. Okay. I and I and I know this one's a bit of a divisive one too. I think people think like people like me just watch a five game tournament and make massive decisions based on that two weeks. Um, that's right. That's what you do, right? Yes, it is. Um, and <laughs> in, the, in the situations where I don't, um, I do, I just, from watching these tournaments over a very long period of time, not just like a single tournament, but like all these tournaments, the, the U18 Worlds, the U20s, the U17s, the World Championship, the mini tournaments in the middle of the seasons, um, I do find there is significant predictive value among the guys who really shine, not just put up a couple of points, but like really, you know, dominate their age group, who really fall short versus their age group. And I find, and you know, I find, especially when you have like those major nations, you know, who rises to the top on the Canadian group, who, who doesn't. Uh, right. you know, it, you know, like Sweden has this year, Sweden's U18 team this year is probably going to have, you know, most of their defensemen get drafted when they were all on the ice together at the same time. Who were the guys who really distinguished themselves? Uh, I think, you know, you don't, again, it's only, and I don't, I don't want to say two weeks because like, there's so many of these, like these, there's, yeah. You know, in a normal year, there's four major U18 tournaments and some other mini U18 events throughout the year. So you're taking all of that into, into the context. Um, so, but it's it's really important in my opinion. I would still say club play is more important, but I don't think it's dramatically more important as long as you have a reasonably sized sample of international play. Okay. I, I, that's That's a good answer. I tend to think, well, I don't know. I don't know if I have a strong opinion of that one, so I'm not going to say anything. Next one. All right. Sounds good. <laughs> Thanks for picture playing. Which league is better at developing NHL players? Finally, we're getting to the question, the most important question. What is your answer? Which league is better at developing NHL players? This is one of the questions that I was very happy to have them answer and for me not to answer. <laughs> well, here we are. Uh, uh, you know, it's you'd say the CHL. Just I mean, you just you just look at how many elite players come out of that league. And you know, I think at the, at the hold end on, of the day, that's I, not the question. Which has produced more elite players? Because they go to the, there's but, more elite players that go and play in the CHL. Yeah, right, but but that's we're talking about developing kind of I, players. But that, into but, NHL but that's but but that's for me what's important when it comes to this stuff is whether when it comes to the draft, when it comes to the, for teams developing, uh, when and just any kind of you know evaluation. Uh, area I'm I'm looking uh, where where are the high end guys uh, coming from you know in terms of which organizations are drafting them which leagues are producing them I think that's the I think that's mainly what I'm focusing in on is like because that's ultimately what the goal is is to find the really good players uh, so I you know just look I mean and, and college does produce some really really good players too but I think you know just 
you know, the CHL just does it so consistently and so many of them uh, that, uh, that that would be where I would lean right now. And that's where the respondents leaned as well. Okay. All right. Should the CHL-NHL agreement be amended? I was surprised that this wasn't a landslide, but go ahead. Yeah, I, I wasn't surprised, but I, I do think, you know, like yourself, I think there was a lot of people in public discussion who think this is a no-brainer decision. Um, and there's a lot of people I talk to who think that, and there's a lot of people I talk to who do not think that. Mm. Uh, they And the reasons they don't think that is they look at the CHL right now. They look at some of those teams that are, no, not the London Knights or, or the Quebec Ramparts, but teams that are kind of like middle to small markets. And they're like, well, if they don't have this really good player, you know, people are not going to show up to their games. Uh, and they they look at some across the league and they're like, well, you know, there's already so many bad games that nobody wants to go to. If you just take away the top 20 players in our league, it's just going to devastate the quality of these games. Um, whether or not mm-hmm. you agree with that or not, and whether or not NHL teams should how they should be prioritizing the development of their prospects, their, not just their prospects. In often cases, we're talking about whether or not these guys should move to the AHL. They're not because they're like some fourth round pick that are like, oh, they're kind of doing well. There's usually because there's like a high, high end pick yes. who has clearly like dominated their league. And you're like, can we please move them to somewhere where they can play against better players? And it's an interesting debate. Like I said, I, I would lean to yes, because I do think. You know, there's gotta, you know, there's just at some point, I don't say they, the CHL doesn't help them, but there is a point where it gets redundant a little bit, especially, if, you know, like, you know, from this year's draft, like, like, it's already been in kind of, I think, rumored that like a guy like Marco Rossi is gonna go play in Europe, he doesn't make the NHL, but like, for a guy like Rossi or Perfetti, who were on like 120, 130 point paces last season. Right. There is no reason for them to go back. You know, Quinton right. Byfield was, was, would have had 50 goals and 125, 130 points if he played a full season. You know, practically speaking, I don't know what he's going to get from going back to the OHL for another year. But if they don't right. make their teams, they're going back to the OHL for another year. Rossi might, was probably going to go to Europe, though. Yeah, interesting. Like, that's... It, it, and we're seeing this of some version of this on the NBA NCAA side, where now the the development league is is gra- like instead of going one and done, you, you're now seeing players gravitate going right to the development league. And I just wonder if that's maybe Europe is the answer. Maybe, like at some point, these players are going to be like, I, I'm not going back to my CHL team to score 70 goals. You know what I mean? And it's it's just not good for the development. And so I'm a, I'm yeah, a hard I mean, I- guess on this one. Yeah, and you know, there are some guys you'll talk to who won't say this on the record and they acknowledge it. Like, you know, they'll, they'll tell you, like, you know, practically, like, I hope I make the NHL because I probably don't need to go back to junior for another year. Right. Um, you know, and but that's, that's, a, that's a scenario right now. Yeah. Um, all right. Wrapping up. <laughs> Can't wait to hear your answers on these. Oh, I oh, I'm definitely not answering any of those. The last which organization three. is the best at drafting and developing? I, I am I'm pleading the mm-hmm. fifth hard on all three of these questions. <laughs> what? All right, well, it's Tampa you, Bay is the correct answer for that. One. I'll answer because yeah, who cares? You're, 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 Tampa you're, Bay. You're going you're, you're going with the crowd. I'm going with. But come on, <laughs> look at what Tampa Bay does consistently. And not with high end. I was having I, I was having this discussion though with somebody yesterday. They've done an incredible job 
in the middle to late rounds of finding, you know, the, like, you know, in a given draft, there's 20 to 25 good players and they've done a really good job. And like, and like out of those 25 players, like five of them will come outside the first round. And Tampa Bay has done a good job of identifying each one of those five every two or three years, which yeah. is an incredible, incredible effort. But if you look at their first round draft record, it's not that great. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's, I, I get that. Like, but if if you miss it with your first round pick, but you get Braden Point, I'm, fine I'm not with that. saying they haven't done an incredible job, but it's an interesting thing to look at. Like you know, and I mean it's developing too. It's drafting and developing, and I think part of that is, you know, you're developing. That's that's what you're doing with those late picks. And I have no issue I mean, with, maybe with the answer. As, maybe it's not just, as clear cut, but. I, I have no issue with the answer. I just it's just an interesting thing when you look at how their their organization's track record over the last ten years. I'm just surprised to hear you you're, you don't like Tampa Bay. Like they they do a good job. I think yeah, Murray's. I, 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 I know, know that's, that, that's exactly what I said. Uh, next one for you, Corey. Which or <laughs> which organization <laughs> is the worst at drafting and developing? I also plead a fifth on this one. Mm. Okay. Um, I'm I'm gonna plead the fifth as well. I would have said I, I think you could have made a pretty strong case for Edmonton, but it's hard to say now with the regime change, right? Like just when you looked at their for a long time lack of success outside the first round and et cetera, et cetera. Um, I mean, they still haven't had much recent success outside the first round. I guess I guess uh, did did Caleb Jones play much this year for them? Hmm. Yeah. Did Caleb Jones play much this season? I think Ethan Bear also had a had yeah, a had no, a they, good. I feel like they've in their AHL teams really good. Yeah, um, I mean, I, mean, I, I feel mean, like the best, we're seeing the, that. Like, un, un, unfortunately, their best mid round pick, arguably of like the last ten years, is currently playing in Pittsburgh right now. Oh yeah, what Marino? Yeah, John Marino. Yeah. Um, so but he wasn't going to so sign. Like that's like that's a great I, pick. I, it's still like I I I don't I'm not saying it's an indictment of their scouting staff, but it's just kind of it's you know it's it's cruel humor that <laughs> their mid round draft record has been so terrible. Like I I actually recall I forgot when I was this was back this was way back in time when Craig McTavish was a general manager, mm-hmm. uh, and I remember him like actually like saying like you know our drafting outside the first round is undermining everything we're trying to do here. Like I, I never, I yeah. never remember a general manager saying something like that. That's that's a pretty big indictment. But I would just say, I, like I feel like the HL team's good. They're they're not rushing people. There, there seems to have been a philosophical shift. Um, yeah, the, and, the, and like the HL team is Caleb good. Uh, and, yeah, yeah. Like, I like Evan Bouchard, and I think he's going to be a real good player. I'm not really sure how many of those guys down there are like really going to be like really good NHL players. Like maybe Benson's going to get there. Yamamoto. I'll, I have a model's progression this season was very positive, obviously. Yeah. Yeah, so they got they got some good pieces coming, but all of getting like Bouchard was a top ten pick. Right. Um so. it's okay. Um I'll I'll move on because uh, there's no reason for us to dig ourselves a hole there. Which scout <laughs> I forgot about this question. Which scout do you have the most respect for? And this one this one didn't even come with question. a chart. I know this one well because because there was such a wide ranging question. Like I kind of knew what I was asking this. This wasn't going to be like a a ranking because there's you know there's hundreds of people you can choose from. This was more uh, what was important in the criteria, which wasn't listed in the question you just as you just read it was that people couldn't name someone from their own organization. 
So you got to pick somebody that from some from another organization. Mm. And I, you know, it's, so there was a, there was a lot of respondents. Like there was very few multiple votes. There was a couple, and I and we highlighted them there. Uh, but for the most part, it was just people just recommending a name, uh, and it was a it was a pretty wide list of people. So know what I would have done if if I uh, so you can't really do a chart because it's a bunch of, it's a group, huge group of names. This is the I editor would have, and Craig coming up right now. Well, I would have done teams mentioned right, so that becomes significant if. Like Winnipeg has a pretty darn good draft record, and it's not surprising that there's a couple people mentioned in here from from that organization. Um, Nashville is another one yeah, that has a good rec- reputation, and you see a guy like Jeff Kielty and and uh, Lucas Bergman mentioned here. Um, and you know, my answer might have been Paul Fenton. That's like as much he, heat as he, he he's taken he, as a GM, and he, and he did get a vote. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, and and I don't even know if he's scouting amateur. I don't know what his role with Columbus is, but like I I, I didn't stipulate just to amateurs, so it let people kind of have oh, a little bit of a wider right. range. Okay, um, like he, you can't deny Paul's um success as a scout. Like when you talk to people about Paul Fenton, that's like he's he's, and I also thought it was interesting to see a GM listed in there and Don Sweeney. Yeah, and you know, yeah, I I was. You know, I, I didn't want to put restrictions on who people were voting for. You know, you know, obviously most people just voted for a scout or people who were heavily involved in the scouting world. But right. for what it's worth, like Don does do a lot of scouting. Like hmm. I would say more than the average GM, particularly when it comes to like the free agents they sign through college yeah. and, and and Europe. He is he's pretty involved in that process. Um, Don's good at his job. That's 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 an issue. Yeah, yeah. I think people will. Listen, that 2015 draft it was bad. Like, there's, there's, there's no getting around. They would that tell, but he would tell you that. Like, the, yeah, when I talk to people in Boston, like, there's, there's yeah. they own it. You know what I mean? Like, there's yeah. no. Oh, like, yeah. Hmm. but yeah, but but then Charlie McAvoy was what the year later, right? Pasternak, yeah, so, like, there's like, a lot of hits. Like, you're gonna, you, yeah, you, you take so, the overall on this one. Yeah, so you know he's been GM there for quite a few years, and they were, you know, arguably the best team in the league this season. So I mean, you know, I. I you're you're not gonna fight, you're not gonna have me criticize this uh, Sweetie's work there in, in Boston. No, no, because of those because of those three bad picks just that just so happened to be in a row. Um, oh, Al Murray's probably the right answer though. I'm thinking now. If we're come on, you can name somebody. Nobody's listening, Corey. It's Al Murray. Al Murray's the correct answer there. All right, thank you for answering for me. All right, all right. It's I, I, like that's it's silly. It's got to be Elmery. All right, Corey. This was a lot of fun. That was a great, great idea for a story. Really good execution, except for the opportunity to have a chart with the last one. Um, I hope you make we'll that whole thing. Yes, uh, we'll have make sure I have a meeting with my editor after this to discuss uh, okay, your, right. your criticism yeah. of the lack of, lack of a chart. Um, gosh, that went way longer. So let's fly, fly. Not that there's any time restraints on us in this moment in time but we don't need a really, two-hour you, long you, podcast you, you, you don't have games to get to after this i don't have i do but there's a lot of meetings i have a lot of meetings people are really filling up the schedule with meetings i feel like it makes people feel i know like, we, we have like we have so many projects going on right now that i'm yeah. very, like i'm just very confused thankfully i'm not involved in any of them which is great uh but <laughs> sadly i'm involved i feel like i've got my hand in too many of them um, I tell everybody, whoever wants, I tell everybody who wants Buffy, like, "Hey, Corey, can we help you?" Like, "Nope, busy with the draft." It's it's the best excuse because it's because it's true. I'm going to start saying have... that. 
sorry, busy with the draft. We, we don't know when it's going to be or what it's going to look like. You can say that for the next seven months, Corey. Like normally well, it's like, yeah, Corey's I got mean, a draft coming up and the combine's well, in three weeks, but who knows? Yeah, well, we're kind of following the schedule as if nothing's really changed, all, all, even though things have obviously changed. You know, I'm still planning to publish the draft stuff around May, uh, work on the org rankings through the summer and publish those uh, in, in the fall. So, like, that's, you know, we're still pretty much on track to, for me to do business as usual right now, even though there's obviously business as usual is clearly different in the world around us. Yeah. Well, the beauty of it is you then you can run it all right back when it actually happens and, and uh, that, that, oh, that's help the with any ca- other projects. Well, that's the absolute chaos in the back of my mind now. Like, let's say there is a playoff in like July and, and August, and they have the draft in like September, and I gotta like run all the draft stuff and the draft reviews and the farm rankings like all together in September. It will just be just a very very long month which i think you know we all understand if there's a if the season comes back that we're going to have just an absolute chaos of us of the of a next like eight months uh yeah so it'll be fun <laughs> well that that ends our second segment on how the sausage gets made at the athletic let me interrupt this conversation with Corey to share a few words about the black tux because if i know one thing it's that Corey likes nothing better than to look great and the folks at Black Tux make that happen. The Black Tux believes every groom deserves a better experience when it comes to finding formal wear, a suit or tuxedo for their big day. Did you know the Black Tux was actually started by two guys who had one of the worst tuxedo fittings you could imagine? Turns out they aren't alone in this frustration. Just listen to these one-star reviews from a competitor tux shop. Go elsewhere. This place is pretty terrible unless you're dressing like your grandpa for Halloween. The second one. We felt weird buying a suit from somebody so unhappy. We were afraid his bad vibes might follow us to our wedding day, so we left. What I love about the Black Tux is that they have an easy online ordering process that brings your suit or tuxedo straight to you. Just pick a style at theblacktux.com and request a free home try-on so you can feel the fit and quality before you commit. And if online isn't your style, the Black Tux has showrooms all over the country where you can find your fit and plan your look. From there... They'll ship your order two weeks before your wedding so you can check it one last time. Talk about commitment. Whether you're buying your outfit or looking to rent, you won't find a formal wear experience or designs like the ones you'll find at the Black Tux. If you want your wedding to be remembered for the right reasons, order your suit or tuxedo at theblacktux.com. Enjoy 10% off with the code THEFULL60. That's theblacktux.com, code THEFULL60 for 10% off your purchase. The Black Tux, formal wear for the moment. All right, moving on to our third segment, your your movers in the 2020 draft. I want to talk a little bit about this. In, in the, It's inspired by the beat writer's recent mock draft because you yeah. refused to do a mock draft this early in the process. So we had, we were going to lean the, on the beat it's writers coming. as instructed uh, got, by got, you. Especially if there's a September draft, you got to do something to fill the space. You do. No, I, I would have had 10 mock drafts if I was – had any control over you so here's thankfully you here's don't. what <laughs> here's what i want to talk about this you you're you've kind of implied that there's people moving up and down there's movers and and i find that really fascinating because a there's no games being played um but there seems to be some opinions being formed so and let's let's kind of speed through this who's who are you seeing right now as kind of people of interest on the scale of moving up or down I would say the two guys, and this isn't because, you know, it was not the last few weeks, it's been from the last few months, 
Um, and the two guys who towards the end of the season I thought really helped their case would have been uh, Jake Sanderson with the with the USA program. Um, I thought yeah. and uh, and Jack Quinn with the Ottawa 67s. I also thought both uh, I thought Seth Jarvis with out in Portland really helped himself and as well just everybody you know I think both uh, Brendan Brisson and Sam Colangelo with the Chicago Steel I mean that team I think won like 17 games there at the end, and to end the year like they yeah. had like 70 more goals than the next best team like those two guys helped themselves but particularly I would say Quinn and Sanderson are guys who you're you know in discussions with NHL teams you're often hearing them being discussed in the top 10 um so and you're and I think Sanderson in particular just with what, with how he ended his season, I mean, with no U18 Worlds happening uh, this April, the U18 Five Nations uh, in, in February, it, it was kind of the last, you know, best on best without Canada U18 tournament. And, and most of the top players in the age group were there, except for the Canadians, uh, mm. who unfortunately do have the best, you know, age group, um, the, the, I guess the most, the most talent in the age group. Um, but you know, and Sanderson uh, co-led that tournament in scoring as a defenseman. Uh, I thought you know he was just he was excellent in, in every single game, and I think you know you just look at a guy with uh, with, with his size, his skating, uh, and the offense is always a question. But like I said, he co-led that that event in, in scoring, so I think he and I thought he made some plays. And I, yeah, exactly. There's there's a lot there's a lot of excitement about him, and and then Jack Quinn, who was scored 50 goals, uh, was on the best team in the in the, in the country uh, in the CHL, um, just full of skill and hockey sense. Uh, you know, we can you know whether or not I would have either of those two in the top ten, or you know, those are things I'll be debating and, and writing about over the next few months. Uh, but uh, both of those guys, I think, are have really established themselves towards the top of the draft. So I and I know you're. It sounds like you're still sorting it out a little bit mentally. But you and I have talked about Jake Sanderson and, and who you haven't always loved. It have have you yeah, evolved I, your I, your stance? Yeah, on Jake? I, yeah, I evolved. Like he's, you know, you know whether what I guess I guess for me it would be like okay, you know, not whether he's definitely a first round pick or or definitely a top twenty pick. I guess the the debate would be for me like is he top fifteen? Is he top ten? Is he top five? Right. There's there's. Right. The, the the range of where he's going to go because I, I know people who are kind of debating that range. Some say he's top fifteen, some say he's top twenty, top ten, top five. Like that's the debate going on with him yeah. right now. Uh, but no, he's he's a really really good player. I uh, yeah, I mean I, after after that tournament in February and kind of watching in there towards the end of the season, like I I, I was I was convinced. Not that I don't still have some minor reservations about the offensive upside, but like there's he's a he's a really good player. Yeah, so he's. You know, we've talked about this. I don't know if it was you and I or Scott uh, in, in one of these podcasts, but we know some team is going to reach for a D. Or not reach, like whatever. It, draft a defenseman higher than projected. It just seems like that's how this tends to go every year. And he's like, in this mock draft, he went 12. And, and I, I think you know, that, Based yeah, on and, history, you probably guess he's going to go top 10. Yeah, I would I would bet he's going to go somewhere in the top 10. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I don't, no, and I don't think, and I don't think that's unreasonable. Like what I personally have in there, like I'm going back and forth on that, but I, but I, you know, I see the argument. Right. I mean, just think of last year: Detroit, Edmonton, Arizona, all probably took defensemen higher than where publicly they were being projected. Um, this uh, I, another the, note. And, uh, go ahead. And two other guys I would say who are in that discussion. Like I, I know teams really like Braden Schneider and really like Caden Cooley. I know both of those guys. I would bet all four of those, like those three guys, are all going to go in the top twenty. I think. Interesting. 
Um, I thought there was a point you made on Jack Quinn. Oh, it was actually Mike Russo made this point on Jack Quinn, who he selected with the Minnesota Wild, um, uh, noting some of the other guys in their draft year that hit the 50-goal mark, Crosby, Kane, Stamkos, Tavares, Skinner, Mantha, Dabrinkit. Pretty good group. Yeah. So I can see why Jack Quinn. It it is a good group. Arthur Kaliev is the other one, so his future's to be determined. Um, Yeah. I do like Quinn a lot. Like, he's like you know, tremendous skill in hockey sense. Um, you know, there are some minor reservations for me about uh, his skating and his size. Um, but he's he's definitely a really good player. And, you know, I think, you know, when you looked at Ottawa, like he wasn't just kind of like riding coattails there. He didn't play on Marco Rossi's line or anything like that. Like he was a, he was a driving force for that team. Yeah. Um, playing all situations. You know, he's a really good player. Uh, again, I guess the question is going to be, you know, there could only be so many top 10 picks, you know, that's right. by, by the, by, by the rules and numbers, there could only be 10 of them. So, uh, Thanks. you know, what, you. <laughs> you're welcome. Uh, so, you know, where exactly he fits, you know, something I still need to, to debate. Um, and I, I think he has some limitations, uh, to his game that would concern me in that range, but there's definitely some really, there's some things he does really, really well. I like that. Mike Russo says he's six foot on a good day. So am I. I'm six foot on a good day as well. Yeah. Five eleven and three quarters on a, I guess, a presumably bad day. So actually, if, if, Central, Central, Central. Actually, that was from his midterm assessment. Central measurement is exactly six foot zero. Oh, so he's, he's up he's to a six growing foot. boy. All right, he's a growing boy. I remember when uh, Cole Caulfield shut up like a quarter of an inch at, at the combine or something like that. It was a, it was it was it was a huge. Day. He was very happy about that. My favorite thing was from the U18s when I. I tweeted out a picture of you talking to Cole, and that sparked a lot of conversation about your size and his size, which I enjoyed thoroughly on Twitter. Thank, thank you very much for that. <laughs> um, so if we're cramming people into the top 10, there's got to be some followers. Who who falls into that court category that maybe we've seen might, might be pushed down a little bit? Yeah, I, I you know I think early in the year I was pretty convinced Askarov was going in the top five to eight. His mm-hmm. end of the year did not go amazing. Um, I still think there are some people I talk to who are really big fans, but I think given he did not end his season very well, uh, that he is a goalie signed in the KHL for two more years, um, mm. that I think there's going to be some concern there about using a top 10 pick on him. Uh, I don't, I am not convinced, uh, hundred percent convinced that Lundell is going to stay in the top 10. Uh, just from talking to teams, I don't get that overwhelming universal sense of love about him compared to the other options that will be available in that slot. Not that he still won't go high. I just don't, I just do not see if I had to bet on who would be sub out from the con- quote unquote consensus discussion, that would probably be one that comes to mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, I don't think he played poorly to get out of the stretch, but you're asking me like who comes out for a guy like Sanderson or, or well, you did trash like Scott that. Powers for taking Anton Lundell with the number. I did not trash. I, I, I said all I said was a little. All I said it was like a little high, which is kind of what I'm saying right now. Like that may not be the range. There might be another. There's another range that makes more sense, uh, but I'm not sure the top ten range is the one that makes the sense. And Dawson Mercer, you know, towards the end of the year, he was only like a point a game with Shakutami. Kind of got kind of got injured. So, you know, after he made the World Junior team, I thought like the hype machine got a little was was really strong for him. His se- end of the season didn't go that that well so that might be another guy where it's like maybe he's more in the teens kind of thing okay all right anybody else you want to highlight on the droppers or is that it we move on to our last uh, segment 
You're right. I I don't know if there was anybody like I'm thinking that that's like a significant significant drop, or other than just like the uncertainty surrounding Hendricks Lapierre right now, and mm. the real mystery in the industry of nobody knows where he's going to go. Okay. It could be it could be top twenty. It couldn't. It could be until like sixty. Like for as for as far as I know right now. I love those, and I I always wonder the the ones where we the wide range we don't know if they end up tend up. I would I would like to like identify some of those and see if they end up being in that lower end or the higher end, like the the wild cards of each draft. Yeah. I'd be curious. Right. And, and, and his wild out. card is not because of character issue, which is usually what you what happens with yeah, those yeah. guys where you have the yeah, this this is purely medical related. And as well mm-hmm. somewhat performance, but mostly medical. And um, which awesome. I think kind of throws a wild card because I think, you know, when I talk to teams now, you know, there's you know, nobody knows what the next six months are going to look like, both in hockey and in the world. Um, you know, people are kind of hope holding out hope there is some form of mini combine, but practically speaking, I think a lot of teams are preparing for the for the for the reality where they're not getting face to face interviews and they're not getting medical evaluations done at the combine by of these players. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if that's not the case, when you have a guy with a significant medical question, uh, you know, those are going to be you know a sig- you know significant issues lingering going into the draft. I wonder if there's if you're him, and I'm just talking this through, if there's something a way to be proactive about that you know what i mean like he's doing i mean he's doing a lot of media interviews about it is he maybe that's the answer like just just be out out there as much as you can i mean yeah he talked to me he's talked to a bunch of other like the french media i mean i i you know they've been they've definitely you know his camp has definitely let people know what they believe is his medical situation right now but you know obviously if you're drafting you want to see something a little bit more firm than 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 what people are telling you um, all right, great. Let's so let's finish up here with a bit of a lightning round. I I opened up the questions to followers on Twitter. Um, you can follow Corey at Corey Pronman, and you can follow me at Craig Custance to be participate in this in the future. If you're not following either of us for some reason, um, so a few questions, Corey. Thoughts on Drew O'Connor and Cam Lee as prospects? Do you have an NHL ETA for them? This comes from Jordan Faulkner. Yeah, I think. Drew O'Connor is probably the more interesting of the two. Like I respect Cam Lee from what I've seen of him uh, uh, in college. I think that's one where like you'll see how it goes in the AHL, and maybe he's a player. You know, Drew O'Connor probably is the one who is more more of a real prospect just because of the size, the skating, and the skill. Uh, and he's, I think, he's close. I, I probably wouldn't feel comfortable projecting him right into the NHL right away, but I think you know, definitely a guy you want to see how he does at a camp and. If he may, may not be a ton of time in the American League, uh, kind of an older guy, not playing for a great team, the ECAC. So he was an interesting one to follow follow this season. But I, I could see him playing games next season. It's not out of the question. Um, okay, great. Next question from Graham Nichols says, is it impossible for the Senators to screw up this year's draft with how many picks they have? So strength in numbers. Can you screw up a draft pick, a draft with... As many picks as the senators have, in especially in high places, um, I would say it's unlikely. I mean, just you know, I as as much as sports is about criticizing management and people for their decision making, because that's part of being a fan and and being an analyst in, in some part. You know, I think most of these people who are in in positions of influence tend to make reasonable decisions with with the information they have, and I think the Ottawa Ottawa's 
generally done a good job at, at the draft because you know they have competent people in those positions that that, that tend to do good work. Not every pick is a winner, obviously, but you know, and as well, like if you just increase that sample size of how many picks they have, they, I would guess they're going to get at least two NHL players out of this draft. If you know, if I, if I was a betting man, uh, which would be a successful draft for most teams, and given that they'll probably have odds are depending on how the lottery goes, two top five ish picks, I would say they're probably going to get at least two really, really, really good players out of this draft. <laughs> the the Senators, if you're not a Senators fan, you haven't been following it closely. They have three first-round picks um, and four second-round picks. What a great spot to be in. Yeah, they're going to If they come out with only two NHL players, something went horribly wrong, I would say. Yeah, I'd say two to three would be the realistic expectation out of that. Just given, you know, the second-round picks are not locks to play. Uh, you know, if you have those, you said there were four second-round picks? Yeah. I'd say the odds are then. Two yeah, third-round picks. So there's... Three, seven, eight, nine picks in the first three rounds. Uh, and you right, want so maybe only the re- two to come maybe, out of this draft? Maybe realistic expectations is more instead of two to three, three to four. But, you know, those second yeah. round picks don't exactly have an extremely high hit rate, even though it is moderately high. There's, they got yeah. a ton of them. And, but I, I, I presume one of those second round picks is a very high pick. Mm, yeah, I would presume Because well, it's, it's, well. it's, it's their pick. second round pick. Yeah, yeah exactly. Right. So, yeah, I think three to four players with presumably two, you know, Practically speaking, you know, there's probably going to be nine to ten high end guys come out of this draft. If, if, if with two top five picks, you got to get at least one of them, yeah. um, and hope the other guy at least is a pretty useful player, and hope that in those other low first to high seconds, you get another pretty useful player too. If, if that was the case, and that's not usually that's that's extremely high bar for any team, but to get a one high end player and two to three other pretty useful players, I think would be the the base expectation there. Uh, yeah, I would say this is not if this is not a successful draft for the Senators if they only hit if five years from now they only come out with two NHL players. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I had I had to rethink that one on the fly. Okay, but. That's fine. I'm glad you got there. Uh, next one comes from uh, Luke and his question at Gervais. Uh, in reference to hitting or missing, is there a particular league that you have found yourself very accurately predicting future talent on a consistent basis? On the contrary, is there any league that you have found that you misjudge players more frequently than desired? It's an interesting question. Yeah, it's a good question. And I think that the answer is, is somewhat obvious in that when you have um, more comparables, and by comparables, I don't mean stylistic comparables. I just mean like just generally you can reference a point in time for 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 leagues where you remember what someone looked like in that league uh it can help mm. you so like in the ohl you know there's been dozens and dozens of cases of the 6-2 guy who's a good skater and he's pretty skilled and he produced this amount in the league at this age and he became this there's you can find so many examples of that at the high school level at the the swedish junior level the russian junior level you know, the German league, because that's yeah. become more prominent in recent years. There aren't as many examples of that. Uh, you know, and we have had a discussion actually with the scout yesterday of like how I was watching like a high school game the other day. And there was not, and I was talking about a, a, uh, a player I was watching the, the last season where I just remember him just like going through and like dangling through everybody. And then he gets to college. And I think I saw him make like one highly skilled play all season. Um, you know, the, so, but, but that would be relevant if I had watched a lot of high school guys and seen what level of skill it took to translate to the higher levels. Yeah. Uh, that's important. And it's also important, you know, like, like, I think to answer his question more directly, uh, like the major junior leagues, 
um, and college, you know, those are just the places where you have the most reference points and right. where the guys Which get the most sense. ice time. And yeah, so I'm not saying you, there aren't still plenty of misses and, and guys that go under the radar in those leagues, just due to nature. But like when you get to like the more obscure leagues, the more obscure leagues, the high school leagues, the Russian leagues, where those leagues have like developed so much over the last few years. You know, there didn't used to be an MHL. There didn't used to be a VHL. You know, those leagues have developed. They've expanded. Um, assessing the quality of the conferences, the divisions in, in those areas of the world uh, are ever-changing. Um, so th- those are the places where there are more struggles and where I think people make more mistakes, both in terms of under- and overrating players. Uh, as we have to grow to understand places that are that are new or just have fewer examples, like even like at the high school level, like how many, you know, NHL players directly come out of high school, modern times. Most players just go to the USHL. Yeah. Uh, or you know, so it's 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 made it harder for those places are harder for sure. Um, this is kind of a follow up to that from Boardman at Fly Ox. Does sure. the scoring rate in the OHL cause you any pause when evaluating the prospects there? Yes, um, and that's been a discussion point among scouts this year. Like I remember, uh, you know, because OHL scoring is really, really high this season, and mm-hmm. the save percentages are, are are quite low. I remember someone was joking to me like around the trade deadline. I was, I was, you know, cause, you know, when you're around December, you're kind of monitoring, okay, like you know who's loading up, where are players going, kind of thing, as you kind of assess where where you're going to be looking at in the second half. And a, a guy, you know, I asked, like, do you know any goalies who are going to move? And the guy joked to me in, in the OHL. And, he, and a guy said, like, well, if you can name, you know, two goalies that are worth trading for, let me know. Hmm. Uh, so, yeah. and, you know, that's kind of been the case. It's kind of like Nico Dawes and not really much else there in the OHL this season. So it's it's in the back of my mind. I don't know the proper way to frame that without seeing how it rates contextually. I would need to see like where we are in terms of goals per game and compared to other years. In general, I I think the best way to approach a situation like that is not to look at raw numbers, but relative numbers. Right. Not like, does, does he have two and a half points per game, but how strong is the league he's in? Not in terms of the goalies, but like just generally how strong is the league and where does he rate comparative to the league? Is he the best player? Is he the fifth best player? Is he like the 20th best player? And I think if you if you have that mentality, it can help you sort through the noise that may be uh, due to other factors. Um, okay, good answer. Uh, this next question comes from Foot Babble. I've read others in the industry describe Jacob Perot skating as high-end. You, Corey, not me, I have no opinions of Jacob skating, seem to think Thanks. he isn't that good of a skater. What could possibly cause such a discrepancy? Um, Corey. I mean, I d- what reference is he making to him being a strong skater? Where's it? Where's don't but don't care. Like, I'm asking the question like, what is he referencing? Like a writer's opinion, a scouts that are saying like, what, what is he referencing? He's saying I've read others in the industry. Oh, okay. Uh, well, I would say among pretty much every scout I talk to, nobody thinks he's a good skater. Um, I would say he himself would probably admit that it's not his biggest strength from conversations that you know teams have had with him. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that kind of emerged after he won the fastest skate. That he had a really good. Uh, time at the chl top prospect game testing uh, yeah. where he had a pretty strong what you know whatever drill they made him run um you know i i find that stuff is not really reliable like this is not like that stuff isn't like the nfl combine where like their 100 meter dash is like micro analyzed 
and can significantly impact a player's value. I, I don't never really hear any NHL scouts I talk to ever reference those testing drills yeah. in discussions. Uh, and there's just way too much. I've, I, you know, I still go to the, actually go to them. I watch them, and the value I find in going to them is not watching who times well, but just like just like actually just watching them skate around. Right, I find helps. But mm-hmm. I would say just from seeing those results over a long period of time, uh, I don't sense a strong correlation and and how they predict skating ability to the next level. Uh, and I don't think he's a terrible skater by any means, but it's it's not a strength. And I think he would admit his strengths are his skill, his hockey sense, and, and, and his shooting ability. Um, all right, last couple. This one comes from Adam Jazz. It says, and I don't know if you can answer this. It's usually tough getting usable prospect data. So other than Holtz, who really projects, oops, oh, I'm sorry, there's probably a comment there. Other than Holtz, who really projects to have some real shot volume in the NHL? I mean, the obvious one would be like Lafreniere. He gets a high, you know, Lafreniere has a really high shot volume. Um, mm. It's a pretty specific uh, question to put you on the spot, uh, Corey. Uh, Z- Zeri comes to mind. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about it. Uh, you know, yeah, I think shot volume is something I would really think about more. Maybe, maybe, maybe Grieg too briefly comes to mind. Poirier, maybe Poirier is one. Like he was like fifth in the queue in shots as a defenseman. That's a pretty <laughs> elite shot generation right there. Uh, so that's that that comes to mind right away. But in terms okay. of like, I think that Holtz. I don't know if Holtz is like he has elite shots, but he also has an elite shot. So I guess that was an interesting question. That's uh, an interesting question. If you want to think on it and answer it on Twitter too, I'll, we'll allow that. Um, I probably won't. But but <laughs> that's what comes from is Ishmael lives. How much has Ian Mitchell's stock risen since his draft year? That's a, lo- um, it's pres- a presumptuous question. Yeah, but it's fair. I think it's gone yeah. up. I mean, he was like a, like a mid-low second, and he looks like he's going to play right away So it, once he once there's games. So it's fair to say he, he's gone up a little bit. I wouldn't say it's like dramatic. Mm-hmm. Like I don't think like people, there's like an industry consensus. Like this guy's like a top pair defenseman, like – monster who's going to become like a foundational piece for for chicago like i think if you you know if he's a four or five kind of defenseman like that's a that seems to be a reasonable projection so given he went like a 57 that's definitely a higher stock so instead of i think if you redid that draft right now he wouldn't go 57 you're he's probably going you know somewhere in the top 30 to 35 all right so so you know that it's, it's a rise for sure this next one comes from at dr gonzo have you considered going by Corey Prospectin Man? That's the question. <laughs> that is the question. Am I supposed to? Am I supposed to um, edit these first or, or sift through them so I'm not reading every single one? I guess. I, I mean, I, you know, I, I don't have high expectations for your prep work, so it's fine. Okay. Um, last one. We'll end it. Although that, that's a good one to edit on. That's a good, it's a fair question. Have you, I mean, it's, you should think about that. Last one comes from Adam Flett, who says, looking forward to this episode as all the draft ones have been superb. Thank you, Adam, for that. Great work by um, everybody involved. If the Red Wings walk away with three Germans with their first three picks, is that a good Where haul the, for the Wings? Where's – I mean – I mean, we don't know where the first pick's going to be. Where are their other two picks? 
Detroit. Hold on, let me pull up the Red Wings here. They, they have. They, 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 I mean, they don't have another first round pick though. No, so no, I think no. That they don't have. They only have their own first, and yeah. they've got so, yeah. um, the, the, all, Edmonton those, those second are, and the Capitals second. I think it's from the Nick Jensen trade. Right. They also they don't have their own second. No, they also have their own. So they have three second round picks and one in the first. So four picks okay. in the first two rounds. Pres- the presuming Wings. they don't win the lottery. Um. Yes, yeah, I, I, I would say yeah. So if they're so there must be some Germans, a lot of Germans. Yeah, well, there's the, this, this is a unique year for Germany where I think they're going to have three top 40 picks at the very, at, at, uh, you know, I don't know where those other two guys, John, Jason Paterka, and Lucas Reichel are going to go, but they're going to go fairly high. Um, so I like the question. Think if Buff- the Red Wings get all three, is, it, is that yeah, a good I like I do like Paterka and, and Reichel a fair amount. Uh, so if I, I don't even think... I think there's a good chance one or both of them go in the first round. So if they somehow both were there in the second round and you got, and I was saying it's a guarantee either of them do, but I think if you got all three of them, which I would obviously, it would just be an amazing story. Then you could just already start writing the German five jokes. Uh, the second the draft is over. Um, it would be, yeah, it would be a good haul at both for the talent and the story. It'd be great. You would have, you would have made the German five joke in the middle of the draft on Twitter. So we wouldn't even have to wait till the, you would have already, I think already people made in that organization. I, I think people in that organization are already making those jokes. Are they? <laughs> that's, that's int- wouldn't that be something? All right. Well, Corey, thanks for thanks for doing this. I know we went over on time. I hope you. Um, I hope you can forgive us. It was it was a it was a great conversation. Um, great questions from everybody on Twitter, especially the one about Corey's potentially changing his name. Um, and I'm just going to wrap this up. So if you want to follow Corey again on on Twitter, it's at Corey Pronman. Uh, you follow. You can check out all of his work at the Athletic. Definitely check out the Scout Poll. Um, check out how he made all the beat writers do his work in his mock draft. Definitely worth reading. If you're not a subscriber to the Athletic, you can go to the full uh, theathletic.com/full60 to get 40% off, or subscribe through one of my stories to get a 90-day free trial. If you want to go through Corey's stories, I guess that's okay as well. Corey, anything else you want to plug as we wrap up? Anything coming? Good. You said you got a, um, maybe a mock drafts coming up soon. Uh, I mean, I'll, that will come up soon at some point. I mean, we're we're working on now is to try and get the you know the or the, the draft rankings and the overall draft package ready. And given that, uh, you know, we had you know fewer games to watch this season than last season, I, it's slightly ahead of schedule. Uh, I can't say we don't know exactly the day it's going to go, but uh, I'm hoping early to mid May uh, we will have we'll have that ready. Um. So I know there's not really a whole lot of new hockey content out there, at least from stuff that's relevant to player personnel, but uh, I'm hoping to get that delivered within the next couple of weeks. Awesome. So check that out. Uh, Worth mentioning, last week's guest on the Full 60 was USHL Commissioner Tom Garrity. So if you are a fan of prospects or development leagues, how he got to that job and USHL's evolution. I actually want to buy a USHL franchise. It's on my bucket list. So he told he, I think he shot down that that concept and how much it might cost me. But um, it was a really fun conversation with Tom. So definitely check that out. Corey, thanks again uh, for doing this, and thank you to everybody who listened. And have a great week. <laughs> <laughs>